there is something uh, that I've discovered in running uh, called the unicorn. It's a, uh, a, uh, a stride, kind of a term that they're using to describe a specific running stride. Um, and uh, unicorns, they're not real. They're mythical creatures. They're great. Little girls love them. My daughter has, I can't tell you how many uh, stuffed unicorns in her room right now. But it's a bit of a stretch to believe that they are real and that they really have evolved or come from the horse family. Uh, and so there's a, a common misbelief similar to that of unicorns as it relates to running. And the myth is this, that if I take longer strides, I will get there faster. If I, I take longer strides, then I can cover more ground and less effort. But it's actually, while it seems logical, it's a bit of a stretch to get there. In fact, um, what you'll find is that uh, while a, a longer overstretched stride might be good for a horse, it's really terrible for humans. In fact, uh, it keeps you from running at max speed and it increases your opportunity for injury anytime. Uh, when you're running, you're striding and you're extending your leg as far as you can, you're actually putting more pressure on your knees, on your joints and increasing the opportunity for uh, more injury, but you're actually stopping all of your forward momentum as you hit the ground with your heel. It just kind of stops and, and it's not actually the best stride or the most efficient stride for your life. And so the goal or the fix when you're running is to stride in a way that puts your foot uh, down in kind of under your knee, kind of more along in the center of gravity. And if you can put your foot down in the center of gravity as you run, then, then you can just keep moving momentum going forward and you're not stopping and, and working against the natural. And it's all caused from a tendency that sometimes runners have with having a long stride. I, I deal with this a little bit in my life because I've had long legs my entire life. In fact, in grade school, I remember nicknames like grasshopper and praying mantis and daddy long legs because my legs were just so long and skinny uh, that ever, those are just nicknames that came my way. Now, those aren't legal nicknames. You don't get to use those when you see me next. No, 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 no. Those, those, those are gone in the past. We don't, we don't bring those up any anymore but I had this really these really long legs and really long strides and for years I would run in a way that would try and overstretch my stride and that's not good in fact it's better to have a good posture and a shorter stride that allows your momentum to going going forward a posture plays a huge role in the proper strides that you take but but so I want to talk a little bit about this today. Uh, we've been in this series, The Stride, where we're just kind of using this metaphor of running to parallel that of our spiritual lives. How can we find the right stride moving forward in a way that allows us to maximize everything that we're doing and to arrive and to go and run the race that God has for us? Us. And so we're going to take some strides this year as a church. And this is more than, than just a, a running series. It's more than just a, some topics that we're putting together. No, this, this series is really some prophetic declarations for us as a church. If you're a part of our faith church family, these messages are at the core of what I believe God is asking of us this year. This is the theme that you're going to hear some of these thoughts and topics 
ring through all year long in every message and in every series that we do from this point forward. This, I believe, is kind of our focus point for the year. And so we're, we're, we last week talked about how we have to align ourselves in the right priorities with God. And when we can align ourselves with God's ways, if we can align ourselves properly, we could hit the right strides. And, and today I want to build on that a little bit and talk about our posture. Our posture is so important. Uh, posture plays a huge role spiritually, and we're going to get to it in a minute, but it plays a huge role in our normal everyday lives. In fact, um, bad posture really has a huge negative impact on your on your physical being. Um, it, bad posture from uh, curving your shoulders and slouching down, uh, sitting in a position where you're jutting your chin out. Now, I don't know if that's because you got to have like C on the lower half of your glasses. I'm not sure why we jut our, our necks out, but it creates strain and improper posture uh, creates all sorts of things. Uh, there's the wrong posture. I call it the baby mama posture, right? Where the, the mom has her hip off to the side and the baby's sitting on it. That's terrible posture for you. It's really comfortable and our arms get tired of holding those babies. Totally get it. But it's a bad posture and it's not good for, it's not good for you. Um, one of the things that bad posture does is that it makes you uptight, makes you unrelaxed. It leaves you susceptible to injury. It hinders your, uh, it hinders you from really moving forward with your health. It creates pain. It restricts blood flow, uh, creates fatigue, bad moods. And I read one study that says bad posture uh, negatively affects your sexual function. All of a sudden, every man just started to sit up a little bit taller and a little more straight. Don't want to have negative effects in that area. I get it. I want you to follow this train of thought with me for a second. Have you ever made a bad decision? Like you made a decision, you're like, that was, I don't know what I was thinking. See, a bad decision comes from not thinking clearly. And the reason oftentimes we don't think clearly is because we are not getting enough oxygen to our brains, which your, your blood pressure rises. You're not getting enough oxygen into your brain. And all of a sudden, like it restricts the ability to think clearly. So you make a bad decision. It comes from not thinking clearly because you haven't had enough oxygen because you're not breathing deeply all because you have bad posture. So bad posture means boneheaded decisions there. I said, it. it's just Let's simplify it all the way down. Did you know that bad posture can reduce your lung capacity by 30%? That means we're getting 30% less oxygen that we vitally need to live life. Hello. All because we have bad posture. Your posture affects your life, but your posture affects your running. It affects your stride, but posture after also affects your spiritual life. There is a proper posture when it comes to your spiritual life. And I want to talk about it today. The right stride in faith, the right stride in, in your spiritual life requires a posture of faith. That's the sermon in a sentence today, right? The right stride requires a posture of faith. Let's look at Galatians chapter two, starting in verse 15. It says this, uh, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, 
but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. That word justified is kind of a legal term to mean, uh, think of it like this, it's just as if you never sinned. So when it comes to our spiritual lives, we are justified by faith in believing what Jesus did at the cross. And because we have faith in Jesus, it's just as if, man, we haven't sinned at all. That those sins are gone and that sinful way is gone from our lives because of our faith. Faith is a powerful posture of our life. I want you to jump down to verse 19. Paul goes on to write and he says this, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith is the required posture in this stride of life that we're, that we're going, in this race that we're running, you need the posture of faith, faith in Jesus. Now, the, the problem with the church in Galatia is uh, kind of a, a big one. They had the wrong posture when it came to their life. When it came to their religion, when it came to their faith, they had the wrong posture. See, they had all of this uh, extra effort, all of this veneer that they were trying to create, this polish on the outside that was keeping them really slave to sin because they were trying to fulfill the, the, the law of God or they were trying to obtain salvation through the old ways of the law. They had all of this external things. And then they, to top it all off, they had all of this external pressure from other people, other forces, other, other religious people, specifically the, the Jews were speaking to these Gentiles. Jews just means those that, you know, Jewish people, a Gentile is anybody other than a Jew. So unless you're of the Jewish descent, you were considered a Gentile. I'm considered a Gentile. And so we were outside of the children of God originally, but because of what Jesus did and our faith in him, he brings us all in and we get to be a part of the family of God. Paul was reminding the church in Galatians, in Galatia rather, through his writing, saying, your posture of faith matters. Your faith in Jesus is more important than your performance. The wrong posture to have is a posture of performance. See, it's, it's a tendency of ours to take the posture to say, oh, I can be good enough, right? There's, that's, the, that's the pressure that we put on ourselves. That's the thought that we have is that I can be good enough. And a lot of times people want to know how good is good enough. I mean, can you get to, to heaven by being good Paul is writing and saying, no, you really can't. You can't be good enough. You can't be justified in your own works. See, the law, the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament, the, the law that was written and given to God's people was a, a set of codes and rules and ceremonies and, and proper ways to live. It was extensive. Uh, and that law really just revealed that they were inept to save themselves. But it's through faith in Christ that we realize that Jesus came to save us. And your own acts or your own good deeds aren't good enough to get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 in verse 6, the, the prophet 
comes and he speaks and he says something really interesting. He says, your righteousness, your self-righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like dirty rags. That if you look at the original translation, what he's really saying is your good deeds on your best day are the equivalent or as clean and pure as a used menstrual cloth. That word filthy rags literally translate to used menstrual cloth. Not exactly the idea of a good deed anymore. Somehow all of your good deeds stacked up still don't equal what Jesus did for you and for I. Now, I want to stop right here and I want to make mention of this fact. Your sin is not a problem to God. Your sin is not a problem to God. Next week, we're going to talk more specifically about how you can overcome sin in your life. That sin that always shows up, that thing you always do. We're going to talk about how to overcome sin. So be with us next Sunday, 10 o'clock at the church. And we're going to talk about how, uh, how sin is not a problem. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say next week that you're, if you put your faith in Christ, you are no longer a sinner. Now, that might shock some of you. You might th- be thinking, wait a second, I, what do you mean I'm not a sinner? I still mess up all the time. Yeah, but you're not a sinner. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to find anywhere in the New Testament where it talks about believers in Jesus and refers to them as sinners. It's not the case. We're going to talk about how to overcome it and get beyond that, how to get past the shame, how to get past the separation that we feel sometimes from God, and how to overcome sin in our lives. And so next week's going to be powerful. I, can't, I cannot wait. But, but I want to come back to this idea of righteousness and self-righteousness. Uh, see, The law just simply made us aware of our sin. And that's what Paul is writing in in, in this book of Galatians. He says at one point, listen, the law was like a a tutor or a a nanny that helps you understand right and wrong. The law is what reveals to us that, man, we we really can't save ourselves. There's a big theological word uh, that theologians use called total depravity, right? Total depravity. It's this idea that we are completely unable to save ourselves. We are completely unable to do anything about our sin problem. We have to have a savior who saves us. We can't save ourselves. And that's what Paul's getting at. No good deed is good enough to get you in. It's faith in Jesus. And he used this word justified, this this scale of justice, if you will. And if you take all of your good deeds and all of your bad deeds, those are being measured up to the perfect law of God. And if every time we take our good deeds, the law says that, that it outweighs our good and our bad altogether. It doesn't matter. Mother Teresa, she would be on the wrong side of the scales. Think about the most holy person, on the wrong side of scales of justice in God's eyes. And that's why Jesus comes. He steps on the scale. He takes our place and his perfectness, his anointed, his, his being our savior tips the scales of justice so that we become justified. It's just as if we've never sinned. That's why scripture says that it, that God laid on Jesus the punishment for all of us. So what, what's the deal? How do we find a stride of faith with the proper posture? How do we find a stride that moves in a way that allows the, our posture to be a posture of faith? There are two steps. Step one, step two to finding the right stride and having good posture, the posture of faith. Here's, the, here's step one. 
surrender control. Surrender control. I want you to look at somebody in your house and just tell them, hey, surrender control. Go ahead, tell them right there, surrender control. I love how Paul writes in verse 20 of this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Excuse me there. I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've chosen to surrender my life to Christ in a way that takes all of the old stuff and and, and puts it on the cross with Christ. When you surrender control, when you take this first step of faith, saying yes to Jesus, surrendering the control of your life, you have a brand new nature that gets born on the inside of you. Something new takes over. And that's why Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. There's a new person living in me. A new spirit living in me. That's the spirit of God living in you. He says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It's a powerful truth. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that's you and me as believers, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us this same ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to Christ not I love this not counting people's sins against them why because Jesus stepped on the scale Jesus was crucified in your place in my place and when we surrender control to Jesus we let him get on that scale for us he's the one who does it we surrender the control. Romans 6, verse 6 and 7 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Did you know that you don't have to be a slave to the sin that you exhibit in your life? You don't have to be a slave to the addiction. You don't have to be slave to the bitterness. You don't have to be slave to the bad temper. You don't have to be a slave to gossip in your life. You don't have to be a slave to treating people poorly. You don't have to be a slave. In other words, having no choice. No, you have a choice. You don't have to be a slave to sin. You can surrender control to Jesus instead. And when we surrender control, something takes place in us that is powerful, that is amazing, that is life-giving, that is forever changing who we are. It all starts with surrendering control. Listen, a desire to sin doesn't mean that sin has the controlling deed to your life. I want you to think about it. Just because somebody comes into your house They might stay for a a week and visit you. Just because they're in your house, they're seen at your house, people drive by and notice that you have other cars at your house, it doesn't mean that those people in your house have the deed to your house. It just means that you've allowed them in your house. The same is true with those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, this is good. When you say yes to Jesus and you surrender that control, a new life begins on the inside. Sin gets evicted from your life. And now God is the one who has the controlling deed. The spirit of God is the one who has the controlling deed to your house, to your body. Anything that your body does that is contrary to the spirit of God, anything that would be considered sin is only there temporarily. It's only there because the door was open. It's only there because they're making a stop over and they don't, but they don't have the control of your spirit in your life. No, 
Because you gave that to God. You gave that to Jesus. You surrendered control. Surrendered control. Oh, I love that truth. Listen, uh, the other day, my kids, we were down, uh, they were downstairs playing in our playroom on the Xbox. And they called me, Dad, Dad, come down here. And they were trying to, they had this, the controller in their hands and they were making a mess of all sorts of settings and all sorts of things that, man, it was, it was not working properly. And they had gotten control, but they didn't have the understanding that they needed to fix the problem that they had created. I want you to catch this. When they surrendered the controller and they put it in my hands, I had the understanding, I had the ability to fix the mess that they made. Listen, friends, when you surrender control of your life to Jesus, he has the understanding He has the foresight. He has the knowledge. He has the power to fix what you are powerless to fix. What you have no ability to fix on your own. What what you feel like will always be broken, God has a way of restoring. Why? Because you are no longer the one in control. You've surrendered control to him. If you're going to have a posture of faith, if you're going to stride in a way that is right and holy, if you're no longer going to overstretch like a unicorn trying to achieve something that is contrary to your nature or in your ability, you've got to surrender control. First step is to surrender control of our lives. If you've never surrendered control of your life, I I encourage you to consider it, friends. Nothing will bring you more peace than recognizing that you have surrendered control to Jesus, that you've surrendered control to Jesus. Now, God has given us a reminder of this. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to remember the things that I did that weren't right while forgetting that God has done something more right. I have a tendency to remember the things that I wish I could forget, and I forget the things that I wish I would remember. God gave us a a practical reminder to help center our posture in the right way. He gave us something called communion. On the first Sunday of each month, we, we, come and we come to the Lord's table and we celebrate communion as a church. Why? Because it allows us to realign our posture to a posture of faith. We take the elements in our hands and we are able to remember what Jesus did. We remember that his body was broken, that it's the bread. And we remember that his blood was poured out to forgive and eradicate sin in our lives. And we take both of those elements and we receive them in faith as a reminder, as a way of kind of centering us, reposturing us, straightening back up and taking the position of faith to say, Jesus has made me right. God has done something for me. I'm able to remind myself of the right posture that Jesus is enough. Now, friends, if you're struggling with some things, maybe you you don't feel like you've got control. Maybe you feel like life is out of control and you've been trying to fix it. Maybe it's time to give up the controller and give it to the Lord. Maybe you find yourself in a place where you just constantly are struggling. I encourage you, find some elements around your house. Grab something that resembles bread and some form of a liquid, right? And take a minute and say, God, I'm centering myself today. I'm reposturing myself in a way that allows me to remember what you did, Jesus, and receive the grace of God in that way. Communion is the reminder that God gave us to have a posture of our lives in a way that says we surrender everything. 
It's all been crucified with Christ. My old ways, my old habits, uh, my brokenness, the strife in my life, the addiction in my life, uh, my own ability to try and fix and to, to appear right on the outside, but on the inside, I'm a mess. All of that we get to take to God and we give it to him. We get to surrender control. The right stride in your life requires a posture of faith. And the first step in that is to surrender control. Here's step number two. If the first step forward is to surrender control, the second step forward is to choose stewardship. Choose stewardship. Salvation is a free gift from God, but it must be stewarded. Your life doesn't belong to you. I want you to think about it for a minute. Everything in your life, who owns it? Who who owns all of the things in your life, the, the stuff that surrounds your life? Who owns it? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 26 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything on the earth, every person on the earth, every possession within the world that we live in, God owns it all. We are here because he's allowed us to have breath in our lungs and he set a system and sovereignly allowed us to have, have, have dominion in this place, to have some rulership in this place. Salvation is this gift that he gives us, but it has to be, it has to be stewarded. It all belongs to God, but it's all given to you to manage. Uh, recently, it was towards the end of last year, our daughter, as she started into middle school, we gave her a cell phone and allowed her to have data on it. Now, she previously had an old cell phone that my wife had and was no longer using. And she was using it for basically as a glorified iPod with Wi-Fi on it, things of that nature. But she didn't have cellular data. And we were able to give her the gift of cellular data. And when I gave it to her, I reminded her of a few things. Uh, I reminded her that, number one, this is my phone. This is my data. I pay for it, but you get to manage it. I pay for it, you get to manage it. Uh, you, you can use it, have fun with it, but don't you think for a second that I'm not going to check up on it? Don't you think for a second that I'm not going to know the passcode to it, right? Don't you think for, no, this is yours to manage, but it belongs to me. I pay for it, it's mine, but you get to manage it. Uh, parents, can I, can I let you in on a little secret? If you're paying for your teenager's cell phone, you're paying for their bill, you absolutely should know what's on that phone. You absolutely should know who they be texting and the apps that they're using and the sites that they're visiting. It's yours. If they're paying for it, come up with another solution. But until that time, you pay for it, you own it, it's yours, they get to manage it. And as a manager, they ought to be reporting to the owner. Because we will all give an account of the things entrusted to our care. We'll give a report of that to the Lord. I want you to think about it. All of life, all of faith must be stewarded. Jesus said himself in John 5, 24. I truly, I tell you, if anyone hears my words and believes them, he is sent, uh, believes me who's been sent. If anybody who hears these words and believes them, he can have eternal life and will not be judged, but crosses over from death to life. In other words, when you get to heaven as a Christ follower, as a, as a Jesus person, as somebody who surrendered control of your life, you will not be, you will not be judged for your deeds. No, the Bible says we will be judged for our stewardship, but we won't be judged for our sin. We're not judged for our sin, but we are judged for 
our stewardship. We will give an account. God will ask me to give an account of how I stewarded the family that he gave me. I'll have to give an account of how I stewarded the gifts and the talents that he gave me. I will have to give an account of the stewardship of my life. Why? Because he's the king. He's given it to me within the domain that I live within the kingdom of God. And it's up to me to manage those things for him. In Matthew chapter 25, you see a parable called the parable of the talents or the of the stewards, if you will. And uh, this is a, a sequence of stories or parables that Jesus has been telling about, hey, the kingdom of God, it's kind of like this. The kingdom of God, it's a little bit like this. It's a little bit like this. And he tells several parables and stories to help us understand what the kingdom of God is like. And this is one of those right there in Matthew 25. And, and it goes something like this, that there was a master who owned a lot, who called his servants to him, his stewards to him. And he said, hey, here's five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag of gold. And he gave each one bags of gold according to their ability, to their ability to manage and handle and steward. He gave them accordingly. And he goes away on a journey. And when he comes back from his journey, he collects and has his stewards give an account of everything that they had been given that belonged to him as the master, but it was theirs to manage. And so as he's given an account, he sees the one who had five, and uh, he says, hey, I took the five, I invested it, I've done some things with it, here's ten. And the, the master says, hey, well done. Man, what a great servant and steward you are. I want to give you more. Come and experience the blessing. And he gives him more responsibility, more to manage. The, the next one comes in, Lord, you gave me two bags of gold here. I've, a, I've stewarded it in a way that has grown it to four bags of gold. Gave him the four bags of gold. Says, same thing, well done, great job. You've stewarded this well. Come on in into the kingdom of God and enjoy the reward. And then he gets to the last one who he gave one bag of gold to, which was a huge sum of money nonetheless. Gave him the bag of gold. And he says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. I know I, I was afraid. And so I just went and I hid this. I didn't really use it. I didn't do anything with it. Here's your one bag back. And the master got a little upset and says, I gave you all of this. And you didn't even try and earn a little bit of interest. You didn't really manage it very well. What has taken, the master took what was given and gave it to another and cast him aside. This parable, make no mistake, is about money. This parable has everything to do with how you manage money in your possession. But the principle applies beyond just money. When you steward what is in your possession, when you steward the relationships, God will bless and honor you. When you steward those things, God will, God will bless you. Here's the principle of stewardship. Two, twofold. First part is this. If you don't use it in a God-designed way, you won't receive more and you'll lose what you had. There have been friendships that have been a part of my life that I didn't steward in a God-honoring way. And as a result, those friendships aren't in my life anymore. Think about uh, muscles in your body. If you don't use and manage the muscles that God has given you in a, in a way that honors God, that takes care of your body, the use of those muscles will decrease. And in some cases, you lose them altogether, the ability to use them altogether. All because you didn't manage them. You didn't steward 
the body that God gave you. The same is true with uh, truth that God speaks to you. He gives you revelation and maybe you're reading and God puts a, a truth in your heart or you hear a message and you know, man, I need to respond. I need to act. You heard the word, but you never did anything about it. You didn't steward the truth that God gave you, which means that all of a sudden your hearing gets a little more hard and your heart gets a little more hard. And God is like, I don't know that I can trust them with truth anymore. I don't know that I want to share any more secrets with them. I don't, I don't know that I can trust them because they're not using correctly what I already have given them. Everything in life comes down to stewardship. If we don't use it in a God-designed way, all the things in our life, we don't receive more and we lose out on what we do have. The second principle of stewardship, though, is, is, is a little bit different. If you are faithful with it. If you will do it God's way, if you will steward what he's placed into your life and into your care, the relationships, the family, the marriage, the business, if you will steward that in a way that you are faithful with it, God will increase it. God will look and say, I can trust that person. Let me give them a, a little bit more. Let me give them a little bit more. Listen, again, this applies to every area, every component of faith. I'm telling you, everyone comes down to an issue of stewardship in your life. Everything in us, everything that God gives us, everything surrounding us, it all comes down to this issue of stewardship in our lives. But it, again, the parable that we read, it has great to do with money. Here's why money matters to God. Here's, here's why. Because in Matthew 6, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Notice he didn't say wherever your heart is, whatever you're passionate about, that's where your money will go. No, your money causes your heart to track after it. Your money goes first, your heart goes second. Your heart moves wherever your money goes. That's where your, and so money is such a key thing. You're like, well, God doesn't really talk about money. That's baloney. I think of the 36 parables Jesus told, I think it's like 18 of them have to do with money. It's a big deal. Why? Because the way you handle money in your life, the way you steward the money in your life, the way you recognize it's either yours to control or it's God's to give, depending on the ownership level that you feel like you take, God says your heart follows after that and it affects every arena of your life. He goes on to say in Matthew 6, either you hate God or you will love money, but you can't serve both. You can't serve both. Either you're going to be governed by God or you're going to be governed by money in your life. And we want to first step, remember, surrender control so that we can choose stewardship second. Everything in your life belongs to the Lord. All of who you are, all of my, my, my life, even my finance, especially my finances, I have to recognize I don't own it. God owns it. I manage it. God owns it. I manage it, which takes the, the pressure off because the bills that are coming in my life, if I'm living according to God's principle, it's God's bill. He's the one who's got to provide. He's the one who promised to come through. He's the one who said he would meet all of my needs. I, I get to take this pressure off. All I have to do is manage it and steward it the way he says to do it. In every relationship, I don't have to fix my relationships. I just have to live surrendered to God, knowing that God is the one who owns my heart. And I get to steward this relationship in a way that honors God. And he's the one 
who's going to fix the marriage. He's the one that's going to fix the estranged relationship with your kids. He's the one that's going to help that tense work environment. He's the one who does it. Money matters because it, it, it reflects everything else in our lives. I want to challenge you to begin living with biblical stewardship when it comes to the area of your money. I can't tell you how many couples and individuals I've, I've coached and I've counseled over the years where there's areas of their life going crazy, broke, and busted. And if we can trace back, and I ask enough questions and they're willing to be honest enough, we'll find that a lot of the brokenness and a lot of those things, you'll also find that they are not living biblically as it relates to their finances. Why? Because way, the way you handle finances is the same way you handle every area of your life. You might not like that, and I don't like it at times, but that's still the truth. Money is the training ground for how you steward the rest of your life. That's what Jesus said. That's what he revealed. So I want to challenge you to live biblically when it comes to your finance. What's biblical? How, what do you mean by biblical stewardship financially? Here's what it looks like. Four things, four components to biblical stewardship. Number one, you return the tithe to God first. You return the tithe to God first. Number two, you live below your means. In other words, you live on a budget. If you don't tell your money where to go, your money's just going to go. Live on a budget. Three, save diligently. Save diligently. And number four, give generously. So four components that the Bible teaches about managing money and stewarding our finances. Because the way we steward our finances is the way we steward our heart. And the way we steward our heart affects every single component of our life, including our spiritual life. That's the right posture. The right posture is that of a steward, not an owner. We have stewardship. We don't have ownership. And it all starts because we return the tithe to God. We live below our means. We save diligently. We give generously. Let me mention, you know, we, we said earlier how communion is the reminder that we need to surrender control to God. Friends, tithing is the reminder, it is the prompt to posture ourselves as stewards. Every time I return to God, what is his? He says the first 10% comes back undesignated to the Lord through the local church. That's God's system, that's his way. He says, it all belongs to me, you get to manage it all. I'm asking that you return first, undesignated to the local church. You don't... If I give you something to borrow, you don't get to return that to me and then tell me what to do with it. That's not, a, that's, you don't own it. I own it. And the same is true with the Lord. When we tithe, we are really, we're not giving. No, we're returning to the Lord. What's his what? Because he owns it all. He gives us 90, he says, it's all, all yours to manage. And with the first 10%, I want you to return it back to me. Why? Because God needs his money back? <laughs> no, no, no. He owns it all, remember? Like all of it, he owns it. Tithing is for our benefit. Tithing reminds us, God, I'm posturing myself as a steward. Tithing reminds me personally, you know what, Lord? All of this came from you and I'm gonna honor you for, I wanna put you first. I want to worship you with it first. I want to give to you first. Tithing is a way that, that prompts me to posture myself as a steward, not as an owner. 
I want to challenge you. If you've never made a habit of tithing, begin to do it. Make the commitment to do it. Take that step because tithing is God's designed prompt to remind you that you're a steward, not an owner. That you're a steward, not an owner. Friends, here's the deal. If we can surrender control and we can choose stewardship, surrender control, choose stewardship, surrender control, choose stewardship. We will stride in a way with the right posture and that posture is faith. Faith is comprised of choosing to surrender or of choosing surrender and choosing stewardship, surrendering the control and choosing that stewardship as we go. I want to challenge you this week to do something. I want to challenge everyone to read Galatians uh, from beginning to end again. We did it this last week. I want to challenge you to do it again this week. But I want to up the ante a little bit this week. Not only do I want you to read Galatians from beginning to end, one chapter a day, I want you to memorize Galatians 2 and verse 20. Commit it to memory. Write it down. Put it on a post-it and and remind yourself of it. So uh, Galatians 2 and verse 20. Memorize it. Think on it. Uh, it, it'll be a great thing. Some of you, man, you've you've never uh, really committed things to memory. I want to challenge you to do that this week. Do that. And I really want you to think this week, how can I take a step of faith? Maybe, how can I posture myself in faith? Maybe, is there something that I need to surrender control in? Do that. Surrender control to the Lord. Give the Lord your heart. Give it over to him. Maybe there's it's an issue for you, not of surrendering control, but of choosing to steward. You, you consider yourself the one who owns it all. I, I want to challenge that. I want to encourage you to step, step in and really examine. Go read Matthew 25 for yourself. Read that parable. And I want you to choose to steward and start by returning the tithe to the Lord. First 10% undesignated to God through the local church. Challenge you to do that. Take those steps of faith. Here's the bottom line today. As we wrap up, we don't, We don't live by faith to earn God's goodness. Nope. There are no unicorns in the kingdom of God. So amazing and so wonderful that they're a league of their own where they get to earn God's goodness. No, no unicorns in the kingdom of God. None. We don't live by faith, surrendering control and choosing stewardship to earn God's goodness. No, we live by faith so that we can reveal God's goodness. When you live by faith, when you have the stride of faith in your life, surrendering control and choosing stewardship, those around you can't help but see God's goodness. You will reveal God's goodness when you have the right stride. Some of you, spiritually, you've had the wrong posture. You've got things that are painful, like a a pain in your back, proverbially, of course. Uh, And it's because you're carrying something you were never meant to carry. It's time to surrender the control of the Lord. Our stride sometimes gets overstretched because we think we own it and we got to make it. And we can't. We have to choose stewardship instead of ownership. We have to choose to be the steward. And if we can do that, it's not that we will earn God's goodness, but we will begin to reveal God's goodness. Friends, this week, let's stride with the right posture. Let's have faith. Let's live our lives with the right posture of faith. Surrendering control and choosing stewardship. Let me pray for you as we close. God, thank you for my friends. 
uh, as we gather, as we hear your word, challenge us, Lord. There are some things that, Lord, you're really speaking to us. Some people, God, for the first time, they, they, they're just beginning to realize, Lord, that they, they'll never be good enough. We'll never be able to make it, and we can't control the outcome of our lives. We've got to give the control over because there are things that we don't understand. There are things we can't fix and things that we can't dictate. We've got to surrender control. God, some of us, our posture has been positioned in a, in a bit of a prideful way. Lord, we are not choosing stewardship. We've been demanding ownership. Lord, and as a result, it rejects you. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to choose stewardship in a way that allows you to be seen, allows your goodness to be seen. Lord, we want to put you first. Lord, we know that our heart wants to go after you, but our heart won't go after you if our money's not going to you. If we're not tithing, if we're not living by biblical stewardship, if we're not managing our money, Lord, the other components, our marriages, our family dynamics, our friendships, our work environments, the possessions that we steward, Lord, all of those things begin to get out of whack because we have the wrong posture. Lord, help us to breathe in your grace and realize that you are for us, you're not against us, and that we can reveal your goodness this week as we take strides with the right posture, a posture of faith. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Bless my friends and their families, wherever they're at today. God, we just speak blessing over them. In Jesus' name.